0: This is Season 1, Episode 10 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. It doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some pretty strong opinions. Our episode tonight, playing with social skills, or can I roll to see if they're lying? <laughs> Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, it's a tabletop RPG podcast all about maximizing your game. We've got ideas, cool stuff found, opinions. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you'll find all our information at MasteringTheRPG.com. That's one word. And if you want us to uh, talk about something that you're interested in, adjudicate a problem, Eric would really like to do that, or you just have questions... gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Send us an email. That'd be great. So, hey, guys, once again, it's great to be on the mics with you. It's good to be on the mic with you as well, sir. And that's <laughs> <laughs> Bully, bully, bully. And that's no lie, gentlemen. Welcome. <laughs> Hello, everyone. All right. So um, why don't we just get right into it? Uh, so t- we do have tonight... Um, a cool stuff found. We have cool stuff found. Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over. So tonight we have a cool stuff found, and it's found by Eric. Eric, would you like yep. to go ahead and let us know the interesting crazy thing that you want to tell us about.
1: <laughs> I absolutely will. Yeah, this is almost a sub-genre of cool stuff, where I like to call it, like, Game Corner, or, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to come up with a catchier name. But this is another game I'm bringing to the podcast. Um, unlike the last one, which was specifically developed for tabletop games to, like, work on role-playing, this one uh, was not, but it, is, but it pretty much is a directed game improv session with a fantasy twist so i think it's perfect to, if you want to like have a really fun time and then also kind of work on role playing cuz that's what it's all about so what we have today is called i dark overlord uh made by fantasy flight, flight games um, I... they call it kind of a yeah i dark overlord it's kind of a fantasy uh party game um yeah and i now just to say up front i have an older edition called the the i think it's i have the yellow box or the red box and there's a newer version called the yellow box i think or the red box one of those and one the kind the colors are kind of <laughs> there's just a different consequential but that's important yeah but the newer one has more cards in it and some extra rules so i'm only talking about the original one but it pretty much is still the same game um so starting out what is i dark overlord well the overall feel of this is one player gets to play the role of the Dark Overlord. Think of your over-the-top Sauron or any type of, you know, evil uh, character, evil, evil villain. And all the other players are the kind of bumbling, uh, uh, bumbling, pathetic, you know, um, overly uh, sucked up Uh, Goblins that are his minions. And basically, the overlord has given them a task. A quest of some sort and it's utterly failed and this is like the meeting afterwards where they're basically all trying to get out of getting under the dark overlords wrath and they're trying to shift blame to each other and it it gets more and more elaborate and over the top the art is really charming i don't know if i'm showing this to my co-host now um so basically how does it work well i'm just gonna go over this very quickly um there's a bunch of different cards it's completely made of cards and there's three types of cards there's hint cards which is this is the meat of the game and these have like a name on them a picture and kind of a description and we'll explain more this i'll explain more about this later on uh then there's the action cards which are basically they basically this is that you, you play these to shift blame or to like mess with another player and then there's the um Dark Overlord's cards, which are the withering looks. And this is what he gives to players that kind of uh, provoke his wrath. And they're really, really funny because it uses this fun mechanic of like a, a camera... You know, zooming in. So for the the first one is like a farther away uh, one, and then the second one is like a closer up version of his look. <laughs> and then the third one, if you get this, that means you've been, you know, you've basically been killed. Where he's, you know, looking at you real tight. Uh, so, so that's when you so know. So Eric's showing
0: lost. like these cards where it kind of like zooms in. Each card is like yeah. zooming in <laughs> onto his face.
1: Um, and the basic setup is everybody's given three hint cards, three clue uh, action cards. And the Dark Overlord starts. You pick a player to be the Dark Overlord. doesn't really matter. Um, they start by, you know, coming up with some uh, quest that they gave the goblins. So the examples they give in the book, like, well, my brave servants, I ordered you to kidnap the princess and bring her to me. Did you carry out your mission? Uh, or like, um, slaves, did you raise the village near the small bighorn to the ground as I ordered you? Um, so he comes up with some type of quest that has failed. And then... You pick a goblin, and then they basically have to play one of their hint cards and then gain inspiration from it. So they can use the the title of the card. They can use the picture. So some of the ones here, like here's a the bridge over the river, and then it says Katara's Bridge over the ris- uh, River Drake. And it has kind of a picture of like a, a creature falling from a bridge in a canyon or like oh, the Wicked Elf. And has a picture of a female elf called Odium Ka. And it says the icy and mysterious lady of possibilities. Um the flying ship the drill elves flying flying galleon so it really just there's like a ton i mean there's like 100 cards over 100 cards in here of just all different types of you know the fashionable shoes uh master shoemaker's quaint creations so it really just runs a gamut and you use these to when when the dark overlord first pays attention to you you go oh what well, i was going to get back the 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 potion for you uh, miss sire but but these shoes Caught my attention, and I had no. I had to get them for you, and I, I went to get them, and, and and I got ambushed by guards. And then you would then pull another card, and you can use a pack the, pass the buck card, which is the one you say. But then you know borg over there, uh, and I have here the ah. spiteful Succubi, Um, he he had a bunch of succubi with him that, that that seduced me and and took me away from my mission. And then you basically pass the buck to that goblin, and then the other the other player. Then he has to then use one of these cards to um. Uh, to kind of put put up with an excuse and it kind of goes around like that where you are using these you, you use your own card to like give an excuse and then you use a passive buck card and another hint card to like come up with an excuse and um, it kind of goes ar- around that until one of the players has kind of spurred the dark overlords anger and he gives you one of those withering looks and. Going to the Dark Overlord, he has a lot of power. Um, he has to, you, he, You're encouraged to keep the other players at kind of a razor's edge. So you can interrupt them at any time to demand further explanation on something. Uh, you can just introduce new elements by either by yourself or by pulling a story card and using that, a hint card. Um, you can rebuke them. You know, no matter whose turn it is, if somebody's spoken out of turn, you're you're encouraged to be this overbearing, arrogant, all powerful Lord. Um, Perfect. And then when they've when they've uh, kind of wrapped your angers, if they're stumbling and kind of you know they they kind of has a loss for words, and you go, oh, you know, you've you've wrathed my anger. Um, being boring, being repetitive, for a lot of these reasons. Uh, you know, they're encouraged to then give you one of those withering looks um, if, if they're not respectful to if they don't call you, you know, if they call you like boss and whatever, gave jokes at your expense, like that's absolutely not okay, right? They have to give you the right. utmost respect. So they really encourage all of this. And then once somebody has the third withering look, there's kind of another... Um, plea that they can, a final plea they can give before like the executioner's blade, um, where they can come up with one more excuse, and then if that's not okay, then they get the third one and they're out of the game. So I kind of went over the rules pretty quickly, um, but that's that's the basics of it. Uh, so yeah, the meat of the game is definitely these hint cards, um, and I would say it's a really 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 fun over the top. I mean, you can really get into these characters as you as you heard, and it really just encourages you. To, to role play, and that's why I think it fits with our kind of in our world, right? In our tabletop world, is that you know it's it's a, it's a trope that's easy to get behind. We all know the kind of over the top and, and the bumbling servants. It's a, in the fantasy genre, which let's be honest, that's the most of tabletop gaming, right? Like seventy percent, I would say sure. yep. at least. Um, and it's just a really really fun game. Now there is like an alternative rule sets here that's more like mechanical. I don't think it's actually that good. I, I prefer just go with the more like open ended. You know. More just improv y one. Uh, again, with kind of with the last game, too, uh, it, you want to have a good group to go with this. If, if people are going to be like offended, or you know, you don't want to be overly mean. You don't want people to be like offended if they've gotten a withering look. This is all for like good fun. uh But it will encourage role playing. And I think it will even help people to role play because there's these hint cards. It does yeah. give you some kind of inspiration to kind of go off of. So I think anything that kind of encourages, you know, how do I role play? Like I've never done improv before. This this is a structured improv game basically. Um so it really will help like your gaming group you know foster kind of more oh this is how you kind of draw and the yes and right you have to pass the person to somebody else and they have to go from that and then say something else so it also encourages that yes and which is actually a perfect fit for today's episode i'm glad we this is i talked about it now for today's episode because it, this kind of goes into social role playing and everything um so yeah so, you guys have any comments or so questions how long does or, the
0: game go how does a
1: typical session it's very it's pretty quick uh i would say it goes pretty quick i mean i, I think on the box they say it's, you know, it's it's definitely going to be maybe at first it's a little bit slower, but I mean, I would say it's definitely for under, you know,
0: under 30 minutes. I mean, so you could yeah. use that as like more a warm up. Like- for your group, even yeah, a I mean, it's of like those any like out. party
1: games. Yeah, you can do it as a warm up before the game. You can do it on like a game night. You can do it just for if you're you're waiting for some uh, somebody to come or whatever. Yeah, I would say twenty to thirty minutes uh, definitely is more than enough time. And you can switch. You know, even with that amount of time, you can switch the who's the dark overlord. Right, when somebody loses, then that person can then become the dark overlord. If you've gotten the third withering look, then they have the chance to kind of become the the arrogant one. So yeah, it's really really cool art. I think it's good for you know a lot of different ages of players um so kids adults i think it's kind of a fun and you can see people playing this online they have a, there's a bunch of different videos people playing it and it just it's a really fun funny uh
0: engaging game very cool that's that's pretty neat um i like the i like Sounds the graphics. absolutely
2: incredible spontaneous <laughs> and fun and and i've got to say look you can't see it from where you are but Eric's been showing us the the artwork. It's got a Munchkin esque kind of yeah. vibe to it, which looks really cute. Um, I think people would really get into that. That sounds that sounds actually really super fun. Good warm up
1: exercise for sure
0: yeah exactly so now you just have to figure out how we can play that on a, t- a virtual tabletop and we could play it in our group <laughs> there might be there might
1: be a, t- a tabletop simulator version I don't know so it yeah. there's,
0: there's
2: a tabletop <laughs> simulator version for goddamn anything practically That's, right there'll yeah. be one for sure you know what if, yeah. if
1: we might hit, we might play it and record it and then we could release it as a bonus we'll see I mean I don't know anything's yeah. possible so. oh
0: sure <laughs> sure take the guy who can't run tabletop simulator out of the game all right but with that being said <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well that was exact that was exactly the kind of thing that we like to do for cool stuff found. And now uh we're gonna head over to uh talking about those social encounters and the main topic. Yeah. Alright, it's time for the main topic. We're talking about social encounters. Um yeah, can you role to see if somebody's lying we'll get to that Uh, but let's go ahead and start off it's like what exactly do we mean by a social encounter or social interaction or you know the the social part of the game James what do you when when we talk about that what does that mean to you
2: for me it means the the crux of role-playing games to be honest Uh, role-playing games are social games by their very nature um, and often we hear things called the three pillars of role-playing games, which might be uh, combat is one of them, where, where you've got to get into the nitty-gritty and the, and the dice rolls of, of actually the uh, the conflict and the combat. We might have the exploration phase, which is discovering clues and, and setting up your plot for the game. But the third pillar, which I actually think is the one that um, most people enjoy the most, but it's also the most uh, – it's growing in terms of popularity, is this social – aspect of the game where essentially you're playing uh, you're you're taking on your role you are interacting with the with the dungeon master or games master who's role playing a non-player character and it's that negotiation to and fro uh chatting with a, with an npc for some kind of goal for some kind of outcome um, and so these social encounters, which could which could range from everything from swindling a, a, a poor hokum to uh, negotiating an outcome of a, of a trade settlement with another kingdom, it's these social interactions um, with with rules set aside for them that that form part of the a major structure of these role playing games. So at least that's my take on it. Eric, how about
1: you? Um, yeah, d- definitely similar. I think there is something to which I think people get caught up in when they're like, oh, there's the face character, you know, because there's a mechanical side to the skills part, the social skills part. And some games even have like extra like feats or edges to uh, in- to help with, you know, being a good quote unquote face character. And I think there is a thing that we should always watch out for. And I think it is growing where um, we almost want to. It's almost a good thing to kind of separate those out because I think it's good f- to encourage players who are not face characters that they can still, you know, of course they can still role play but also still interact. And they can even bring something to the table. Just because you're not a face character doesn't mean that you cannot still speak up and 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 be social, right? You're just not good with what I consider the main kind of – if you could go the overall like skills or however they're called of like persuasion, uh, deception – um, intimidation, charming. And then of course, like reading body language, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. So Those are the yeah. main kinds of, and then negotiating, which could be a combination of all those other ones. Um, that uh, I think well, there that, is a, still a good split between, you know, people who are like mechanically good at that. Um, and we should still encourage other people to still role play. I mean, I've had a lot of characters that are not face characters that still, well, I will, you know draw back from when like okay this is the time for that person to shine i think it's still good to get other players involved in that occasionally and like my you know my cobalt character in your game james who is horrible at social stuff but he will still like have his moment of speaking up in a social thing besides just role playing with the other player characters so i think Mm -hmm. there's kind of like two things there and i think
2: and uh, you've touched on some sorry go Carl.
0: no no feel free um i I was just gonna say uh, for myself all of it's absolutely true, right? The whole point of R in the RPG is it's a role-playing game. But I, I kind of, for when I think of social encounters and kind of the social interactions, it, it, it ties off to kind of what Eric was saying. There's skills that are specific to drive interaction. And I, I'm thinking of NPCs, creatures, whatever. It's me interacting with these people in the environment, role-playing that out. So I kind of separate that a little bit You know, the encounter side from just the players getting together, going back and forth, doing verbal jousting with themselves. But there's something where I'm trying to get a desired outcome. And it can be verbal, it can be nonverbal, you know, that that glance from across the room, I'm trying to persuade somebody to go do something, whatever. Um, But I'm trying to drive uh, kind of a discussion with the, the world, the game master who's running the world in a sense, to get a desired outcome or... Um, have something happen the way I want it to happen. Have somebody say something, whatever. Um, so, so go ahead, James. What were what were you saying?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And these, and and I guess as role playing games have developed and as they've have evolved, this element of the game has really expanded. If I think yeah. about, um, you know, when I first started role playing, uh, you know, years ago, you might have had a charisma score, and that was about it. Um, I know that, um, you know, with the evolution of role-playing with things like World of Darkness where suddenly charisma became manipulation and appearance and now we've got things in Call of Cthulhu like Fast Talk and Persuade and, and Dungeons and Dragons with persuasion and intimidation and deception. There's there's a lot of nuance that started to form into this. And so what, what you find is a lot of these encounters, there's actually a lot of rules that are kind of setting in the background now. Um, a, a lot of role-playing games as they develop have quite, stringent, not stringent, but quite structured rule sets about how you might go about setting up an encounter, uh, a social interaction, so that there is winners, there is losers, there is uh, the ability to succeed or fail. And and I guess that's what we're talking about. And I agree, Carl, more than just your I'm going to take on my voice and my persona and interact with the world. An encounter has this structure to it where there is a success or failure and there's a reward for succeeding in that social encounter.
1: And as as you said, I think a really good way to look at it is that like in these games, right, the, the exciting part, the mechanics are all about conflict and conflict resolution. And for most like in movies too, right, when you're writing a script, it's conflict. That's what drives a narrative. And at first it was like combat. That's the easiest conflict to get behind. How do you do conflict resolution with that? Well, you're good at shooting or good at uh, swinging a sword. And then we look at like, well, there's a lot of other types of conflict in life, right? There's conflict, there's social conflict, and that actually usually dominates how things go. And that that can be just as interesting. And you look at like movies and TV shows, right? There's a lot of movies, and TV shows that have social conflict. And that is the main thing. You don't have to have a gun to have a good narrative. And I think like, as you said, James, games are starting to actually catch up with that now of being like, Mm. you can have a full, you know, robust Social environment that has conflict and has multiple ways to look at it, and I even think video games. um, uh, I can't I can't remember the name of this game now, but there's a lot of video games coming out now, role playing games that are like no hardly any combat at all and have like complicated you know social uh, skills and and feats, and that's what every all the conflict is social. Um, So yeah, I I think it's an interesting direction we're headed in,
0: and I I think all that really leads into. The big question, right, is we're, we've got games now that are adding a significant amount of rules related to social interaction. In the old days, right, you had swing the sword, shoot the gun, um, that kind of conflict. And I think you hit it right on the head. There's this other side of conflict. There's challenges with that now, right? The The social interactions are fundamentally different than combat. There's there's just a difference to them. Okay. Yet, what what I find very interesting is we treat them. Should we treat them the same or should we treat them different? For example, what about the player who's a smooth talker in and of themselves, right? So we got this framework, the persuasion, whatever. But this person's yeah. a smooth talker as a player. They're able to kind of, you know, say the right things. They can, you know, act courtlier and when they're interacting with the king does the game master give them the benefit of the doubt and say that was great role playing i'm going to let you succeed what about the face character who has absolutely no social skills but they want to be that face character because yeah. they want to role play yeah. and and they're just hoping that they can say can i tell if this person is lying can i roll a die because i don't know how to do that interaction and how that's the biggest challenge i think that comes out of social encounters right none of us are swinging our sword around in our basement when we're you know, rolling for combat, and it's perfectly normal. That's how you expect it. But there's this expectation sometimes that somebody can really role play out this social interaction, and that's going to determine success or failure in some cases, um, or a bonus or or whatever. So I think I'm just teeing that up. That's a challenge. I'm I'm curious what you guys think about that as a challenge compared to the other conflict, swinging the sword, which is kind of easy to adjudicate. Uh, it's um, it's. It's an emerging and
2: consistent challenge in the games that I run. I must have been Carl. Um, I guess that some of the appeal of role-playing games and people that are drawn to these games are often social butterflies, and and you'll find that there's one in almost every group that loves the acting, loves the role playing, is probably very persuasive in real life, and has quite high charisma in real life. Um, and how do you then manage that interaction? And I, and I must admit, like I love a bit of role playing when I'm dungeon mastering. I'm I I I like to act out the the motivations and and the the the. The interaction, the toing and froing of a social encounter, um, but you're right. It, there are mechanics about it, and there is, in my mind, there's always the set baseline of, of let the dice actually determine the outcome. Um, I've got in our game uh, that I run with Eric, we have uh, a very verbose, very articulate lawyer. That plays in our game and she creates high social skill characters and she has got a rapier like wit when it comes to social encounters she ha- deals with a lot of nuance and will trip you up on your words if you're being if you're being a little bit careless um and that can be a challenge if you're the dungeon master with an overt a very good social player um and so for me i just make a role well, persuasion roles to see if it worked <laughs> or not because i i find i i struggle to compete with her in, in those instances and i and so I'll, I'll often say yep 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 well lawyered well played now let's Let's use a persuasion roll to see if that actually worked or not. And so, in my mind, having the frameworks of the rules is actually a benefit. But do you? But do, can, you, you, but can, do you give? You can give it.
0: Do you give this person a bonus then? You know, they were so glib. Oh, hell no. and a, so, so okay. So you don't. All right. So <laughs> no. The, and the reason why,
2: and there is a reason why. I mean, you could reward good role play, and there's a difference between good role play and good social competitiveness. Um, if if I re- I reward good role play for from the players that might not be overly verbose and, and 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 articulate, if the if the motivation of their character is is on display, if they're actually following through with the storyline of their character, then I would reward good role play in that instance. But in terms of bringing to bear uh, a social skill around the table as a player as opposed to a character, I find it's um I find it's a little unfair if um to to reward someone who exactly. is exactly who is actually naturally good at this. Because by the same token, I want to encourage other players who might not be so socially skilled to interact. I, and often, um, and I'll talk a little bit about this later, often my stories will focus on characters who might not be so socially uh, inept, uh, socially um, adept. Um, the socially awkward characters I like to draw into role-playing um, social encounters because it becomes a challenge for them in the same vein as a character who's not good at sword fighting still gets involved in combat i still involve the characters who aren't good at social interactions into my social encounters and if that's the case then you can't really penalize someone for not being a good active social role player and and so for me it's just we're all rolling the dice to determine the
0: outcome Get a lot of strong shaking heads from me here. Yeah, yeah. I s- <laughs> 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 Eric, was, yeah, what, yeah, what are your I thoughts mean, on that?
1: Well, I mean, we've talked about this before in our player skill versus character skill, and this is the classic example is the social thing. And I agree with a lot of what James said, and I think universally, all three of us, what we keep talking about is don't don't penalize, um, essentialize, like 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 reward, but don't take away. And I think the... When you come to social characters, face characters especially, um, you know, the player skill versus character skill, that goes both directions, like James was saying. Either the person can be really good naturally, like the the player can be really good naturally, or they can be really bad naturally. But it's ultimately their character and the mechanics that will define success or fail. I do think, though, it is good to reward Um, if – if somebody's brought up something, uh, you know, especially like if they really had a good turn turnaround or, you know, they said something that was really poignant or on kind of was like a soft spot for that char- uh, the person they're going against, right? I think yeah. it is good to kind of give a little bonus. And on the flip side, how you encourage that with somebody else, if somebody's making a character that is a, a really good persuasive character or whatever, but they themselves are not, um, you know, still trying to encourage, well, you, you don't have to maybe act it all out and be the best improver. But you can still be methodical in how you like, OK, well, we looked up and we found dirt on this person or something, right? And then so when I'm discussing with them, like, I don't improv everything up. But I maybe as a not social person will be like, well, yeah, I, I really – I start going in you know, deep with them and I bring up the fact that we know we know about his letter to the Duke. Like you can just say that. Without necessarily acting it out in the best, you know, coming up with the best time to kind of put that out, and that's still like I think that's still okay uh, as a GM, like to let your player do that, and then you can be like, well, you get a bonus for that, like you brought that up, and your character's good at it. You might not be, but you took the time to still have that advantage. So you don't have to be necessarily naturally persuasive, but you can still be kind of methodical in that way at least to try to like come up with what are things I can use. Um, And and that I I think there's also. Yeah, sorry. Go on. No, I, I was. I. I mean, just to the point of player versus character skill, um, and, and like you said, James, bringing other people into it. Like I said at the very beginning, too. Like I think it's really important to have the other players also social interacting. It should never be dominated by the face character. When it's like the the like really, you know, this is a high stakes social. Uh, maybe like narrative that we're doing, then that's the the faces characters time to shine, but you should always try to bring in other players. And like you said, James, like, something that they're about, right? Like if there's something specifically that their thing is about, they should come into it. Because like, as you said, everybody gets to participate in combat and pretty much most systems will give every type of class some type of combat role um, in whatever way it is. So it is, when you think about it, unfair then to kind of siphon off social to just face characters. So always yeah. look to ways to draw people in, but still let those face characters shine when they need to, because that is what their whole character is about, right? They're not as good as combat as the fighter. So they should still have that time to shine, but always bring in other characters. And as a player, I also tend to like my character in that game, James. I mean, he is not a socially good guy, but he will have times where he goes off because it's like that is his thing or he uses his intelligence a certain way. And I, you know, me, I'm a pretty social person. I'm pretty, uh, you know, I like to talk. I like to improv, but I will hold back from like being from making him like, you know, too on point with certain things. Uh, or, or want to get involved always because he's too scared and he, he gets stutters up. So I will make that conscious decision to when there's times of, okay, this is, you know, not his jam to like actually bring him back. And other times I will encourage him to be more forthright when it's like something that he knows about, like some type of invention or he gets upset about something and his, he just says fed up. Right. So I think that's as a player, even if you're not a face character, you should engage and not engage. Uh, when it's the face person's side to shine. Sorry, I went off a little well,
0: bit. Well, yeah, but... I I wanted to I wanted to rewind a little bit of something you said which was really I thought spot on that we've been talking a lot about role playing, right? And getting into character yeah. and things like that. But you said something very important. You can drop out of character in social interactions to be able to represent um things that you may not know how to talk about it. You know, and there's the classic, you know, in my mind, uh, if you guys are familiar with L5R, right? That's a, based somewhat on Feudal Japan, it's a game. Yeah. And you go to court and you need to understand all the nuances of court and you have to, but I'm a person playing this game. I I literally do not know all these things. And so you have (laughs) to allow people to drop out a character and say, well, I'm going to show my show my respect and to the Lord in the way that makes sense, or the donyo in a way that makes sense. Okay, great, let's roll the dice. I think the whole, I just wanted to make sure that I, I you know, really stuck a dagger in that in that point you're making, that it's not always, you have to talk it out. You can drop out a character if it's important, and you you just don't know how to say it. We, I still would encourage role-playing because we're in a safe space and it's fun to do, But yeah, you can Mm. drop out a character for doing things that your character would know that you don't know how to express because you don't know it. You're just a person playing a game. So anyway, that's all I wanted to jump goes
1: That even goes back to our last episode. Like the person who's good at thieving and exploration is not always going to know like, oh, how do you pick a lock? They don't know how to do that. They're just like, I picked the lock, right? So there is this kind of suspension of disbelief Sometimes you have to give into yourself to like, my character is good at this. uh, And, you know, I have a gap in knowledge there.
2: I've got a uh, fantastic 11-year-old little girl that plays a paladin in one of my games, and she's got intimidation of plus seven on her dice rolls, and and she's the most quiet-spoken, lovely little kid that you've ever met. And she finds it very difficult to actually come up with how you would intimidate someone because she's just not naturally like that. And so I watch her get flustered all the time. And eventually she just says, look, I just yell,
0: can I roll? And it's like, yeah, you can.
2: You can can yell and roll.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I call him a name. It's a bad name. He gets upset. (laughs) It's really, really (laughs) poignant. He hates it. It's really, really
1: on point about something on it.
0: And so, all right. So that that really, I think, does a really good job of talking about some of those challenges. There's one more that is the title of the show that, yeah. I, that we need to make sure we touch on, which is because of social interactions and encounters, players expecting more insight than they can truly observe or get through this interaction. I'm not even going to, uh, you know, I've got my own opinions on this, but I'm going to, I'm going to hand it over. We'll hand it to Eric first on this one. How about that? Oh. Yeah, I mean, this
1: is a heated topic. And I think with stuff like this, this is where metagaming leaks them almost the most out of any other thing with like, do I know if he's lying? And then you roll the die. So here's my first thing about this. Even if your game doesn't have secret rolls, always make lying check secret, I think. Uh, it just makes it much more interesting no matter what game it is. Because it's like, if you roll the die and you get a really high roll, right? and you're like and you're asking if if they're lying and you're like got a really high role, and they're like okay they're they're not lying. You know, even if you're trying to be a non metagame game player, it's hard to ignore the fact the, the knowledge that oh, I know for a fact this person's not lying. And I think it really takes away from the more organic role playing. So something like Pathfinder 2e it's a secret roll, and let me tell you, it really creates a lot more dynamic drama as far as social interactions go by making it secret. Because you, the GM, rolls your die for you, adds your bonus. You have no idea whether you rolled high or low, so you have no idea if you actually believe them or not. And it creates a much more interesting experience. Um, uh, besides that, I think uh, you know, and I think I think James will have a lot to say about this one. But um, <laughs> you know, keeping it limited to a certain amount of people, and also. Yeah. Especially in like fantasy games, I, I think we go too over. Like a lot of these people, you, you know, you might not, people should be usually taking negatives or something if this is a creature and a culture they just have no idea, almost alien to them, right? It's gonna be a lot harder for them to read this person. Um, and vice versa. If somebody is more used to a culture, even if they're not maybe that good at insight naturally, it might be a little bit easier to tell. So I, I think there's a lot more nuance than we give this credit to. And it's, it's very much overused as far as like people constantly asking. Um, so I, for me, I think the big secret here is, is secret roles. It really cuts a lot of this stuff out and makes it more interesting. Uh, yeah, James, I know. You probably have a lot on this topic, right?
2: <laughs> I'm jumping at the bit here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, look, I, I take this in a little bit of a different a different frame. Um, I do allow uh, the players to all their roles when when they are trying to work out the motivation of the character, and I think mm. this is a little bit different as opposed yeah. to is he lying? Insight yeah, yeah, check. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like to think that. When I'm role playing my NPCs, uh, it's about can you de- can you detect or determine what my motivation is? What am I aiming to achieve? What am I hiding? What am I? Uh, you know, what what is the motivation of the character in terms of this social outset? And I think this developed because of Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu has a skill. It is not insight. It's psychology. And so the idea being that trained psychologists actually get a good idea about people who are being shifty or evasive or um, overtly overconfident, and so it becomes a little bit more nuanced than just are they lying or are they not. And so in that instance, that insight role or the wits role, if you're playing World of Darkness, or the psychology role, will allow you to determine a little bit more than just untruthfulness. It's not just a a one-size-fits-all yes, no. All these roles are also, in, in the way I run it, they're always contested. So you will roll your role and I will roll my deception role or my fast talk role or my manipulation role, depending on what system I'm in. And then I, as a storyteller, as the GM, I will determine how much you've you've exceeded me or not. And so, while I don't allow, while I don't do secret rolls, I drip feed the information based on the difference between the two dice rolls. If that makes sense. So, if yeah. I'm being manipulative and I roll, let's say, a twelve and a twenty-sided dice, and you're rolling insight and you roll a 14, where well, you've only just gleaned a little bit more of information than what I'm willing to give out. If you roll really high and I roll really low, then that's a, that's a different ballgame. So I let the numbers and the dice decide how much information is there. So you can still glean some information if you roll poorly. You just might not glean very much or it might be um, obviously uh, diffusive. And it does, I agree with you, the metagaming part of this does become an issue, but it can also show that your opponent is very good at this too. I roll an eleven. Oh, I think that failed. Yes, but this guy seems to be keeping a very strong poker face. He's not allowing the emotion out, and that can tell things to the players as well. That can still continue on the story and continue on the uh, the role playing. For me, mm. it's that initial motivation is a very important step. It's understanding what the NPC is trying to get out of the social encounter. Mm. And then that allows the insight roles to actually have some portent and some import, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Now, you I, could I'm even combine the secret role with what you're saying and have the ultimate <laughs> <That's true>. uh,
0: <laughs> I'm a role granular, in the non game. I'm, I'm <laughs> a role in the open kind of person. So it's too much it's too much trouble to be doing secret roles for players. But I think one of the th- I think you hit it, James. The question isn't, are they lying or not? The question is, do you gain some insight? And so if you are successful, and Eric, you've seen this on occasion, I, I, I'll I, say things like, well, oh, he's got kind of, he's twitchy and, you know, he's kind of showing this. And you can now determine on your own, or this is what he said and how he said it. And you go, oh, you can determine on your own if they're lying based on the fact that they're twitchy. They just might be twitchy. But if you got a high role, you learn something, you notice something about them, and you can use that information however you want to see fit. You're never going to, you know, unless it's just like blowing out of the water and it's it's an important part of the game and then everybody's going to metagame it anyway. And, and I think I've talked in previous episodes, I don't care if you metagame. game. And say, so, yeah, it, it's obvious this guy is just like, he is not a good liar. He does not have a poker face because you just slammed that roll and uh, really just took it out of the park. But I roll in the open and it's what you glean from it. And I guess it's more that psychology and then you can make your own determination as a player. Did they lie? Did they not lie? Are they being truthful? Who knows? They may sweat just because they sweat, right? In, ter- in terms of the other
2: thing Eric alluded to, which is how many people can roll on these things too, is, is often a difficult thing. If you've got a group of five or six players, they're all effectively in the same encounter. And so you'll get, I'll, I'll see if he's lying. I'll see if he's lying. I'll see if he's lying. Yeah. And, and, and No that, piling that dis- on. Uh, uh, eventually it'll it'll pile on so for me there's a couple of rules a i do a generally rule of two so two people can attempt something and then that's it but the other one is is i often will encourage people who are not active participants in the discussion to make those roles because they're the people that are sitting back and watching as opposed to in the in the cut and thrust of the social interaction and so again this is not a bad way to reward players in a role playing or, or rather encourage players who aren't front and center in the role-playing, you can allow them to have the good insight into what's going on. And, and this happens a lot in a lot of my games where the characters who are good at perceiving motivations of others are not necessarily the face of the group, which makes yeah. it quite interesting when some part of the group knows what's going on, but the person who's doing the talking doesn't. It actually encourages quite complicated role-playing, which is which is fun.
1: Yeah, and just just in most games you think about usually the, the face skills – Are tied to a different attribute than the insight or whatever it is i mean most games i can think of they're usually tied and it it makes sense like i think myself naturally i can be very persuasive but i haven't like taking body language classes you know i watch a body language video and i'm like oh wow that's amazing like i don't know these things so i i think they are very separate skills in that way uh in
0: real life and in games very cool very cool so i think Honestly, we talked about some challenges and some recommendations, but I'll just go right and say, okay, let's talk about recommendations for we don't want to be game masters only. So game masters and players, how do players should approach social encounters? And go ahead. uh, Before we I I just I I don't know if we were going to talk about this, but uh,
1: with social skills, I often see there's like, you know, there's two modes right there's like the the low stakes just kind of general uh interactions and then there's the you know social narrative like kind of like what we brought up in our savage worlds to other games the social conflict which is like a social set piece right And i think even if games don't have that i want to reiterate it just again is like that's i don't know if you want to bring this up later but it seems like we weren't going to maybe pass this over um but that that's really important, even if your system doesn't have it. And that will really give that conflict, that social conflict a big thing. Where, where this is something that has real, real stakes, um, usually some type of like opposing counsel, where there's somebody arguing against them. And this is where the face character really has time to shine and maybe helped by other people. And I think it's really important to set those up, like you kind of would think about as a combat encounter. Start thinking about how can I bring a social, you know, conflict that's like basically combat, right? That has real stakes that has real um uh that has real consequences that are either good or bad and that has like kind of a dynamic back and forth with some type of enemy combatant which you know socially and i think those are really important to put in to give games more dimension and to spice it up and you can listen to our savage world one i mean we really talk about it there but i just wanted to make sure we we touch on that because i really do see the social stuff as like those two different separate things oh um, oh absolutely yes yeah
2: yeah, there's, uh, in my mind, there's a, a marked difference between trying to get a 10% discount off the tavern bill to the negotiation out with the big bad to try and ascertain what they're <laughs> motivating, to yeah. try and do that big social, social crunch. Um, when it comes to those big set pieces, I plan those as much as I would plan a combat encounter, like so in terms of uh, getting your virtual tabletop map out and all your tokens and working out what that what's going to go on there the the big social set piece, which often will take hours to play, because because people get really into it and the stress is really high and the stakes are really high, um, you you in, as a as a games master putting the proper prep in for those things is really really rewarding. I um. I use the, when I'm prepping my social encounters, and perhaps this is a, a, a tip for games masters, and we'll get into player stuff as well, but I use the five steps of negotiation, which is kind of a bad 80s business kind of technique, where where I try to think about these things as a negotiation, because invariably they are. The player will, uh, has to convince the king to do something or, or, or stand on trial or something like that. It is a negotiated outcome, and so Google five steps of negotiation, but essentially there is a preparation or planning phase on this, which for me as a storyteller is about understanding the motivation of the NPC, getting a good idea about what is it that the NPC wants to get out of this interaction. There's a definition of ground rules here which is generally about diffusing it out of a combat situation so that often, you know, the players will charge into the, the lair of, the, of the, the big bad and there will be a social interaction that you want to do without people just firing weapons and, and attacking people. You need to have that lull in the game to allow the social interaction to occur. There's some clarification and toing and froing, which is when you start to get out these dice rolls about inside and motivation. And then there's the bargaining or the actual social interaction, which is where your persuasion rolls tick off. And then the last one is actually closing that, that interaction about was everything that, that was being motivated, did it actually happen or did it not? Um, and so it can be quite a complicated setup. But um, in my mind, by going through those steps, it makes it a lot easier when you're when you're getting ready to do your big social, social build-up and your big social conflict um so yeah have a google five steps of negotiation and see if it can work for you in terms of planning your social encounters
0: that's very cool
1: <laughs> and carl you i mean you've run a bunch of i mean savage worlds has social conflicts and you've run yes. them like what are what are your
0: well i i think, think
1: sir tips on those
0: well the, the nice thing about Savage Worlds, um, the social conflict system. And again, we talked about that in a previous episode. What's nice about it is it solves the big problem of the player having the capability versus the character having the capability. Because the social encounter, it's over kind of three turns, back and forth. You can give bonuses, again, for good role-playing. But then in the end, it's a role, um, you know, persuasion. And it's, James, what you talk about, it's a it's a uh uh um the word phrase me. It's um uh, opposed. To role. It's an opposed role. And yeah, when there's an opposed counsel. Right? Yeah, yeah, It's an imposed it's an opposed role. And if how good you do versus their role sets you up with a, you know, sort of points, and you do that for three rounds, and the more points you get, the more likely it's gonna happen what you want to whatever happen. Whatever you wanted. Yeah, yeah, whatever you wanted to happen. Like, you know, we talk about the court. Right. I, I won my court case, you know, and if I just blow it out of water, made a prosecution just decides you're not even going to go forward with it because we're just so good. Whatever. Right. Um, yeah. But it I like it because as a system, it solves a little bit of that. It lets people to who are good role players and really have a good time, get a little bit of a benefit. It allows those who aren't to say, well, I'm going to say this and this is I'm going to use that thing that I know about the Duke and I can just state it because, and then we go into the role and then it's an opposed role and we can roll all in the open. I still believe rolling in the open. And then that has a scale associated with it to graduate your success. So it sounds really very much, it doesn't solve all, all ills, but it sounds like the, you know, Shane and the folks who put that together, they were trying to, you know, walk through that path of those issues that I identified or we talked about early on. So, so I think it's a great and it's not really tied to Savage Worlds. So, you know, go back and listen to that. I think, just go listen <laughs> I, to that I, I, that one. And <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think the main takeaway is here is that like, as like you said, James, like these game systems are uh, evolving in this way, and and recognizing how this is a, real, a legitimate form of conflict that can be really interesting. And so I think it's a really good thing to, if you're a GM or a player, to encourage a GM to, to maybe add, to try to kind of maybe if you don't do these to like, just try them. You know, you don't have to go the biggest but, but treat them like you would a combat encounter. Think about, well, I want to get to this place where they have to have this. There's real stakes. Maybe, you know, like we said, there's kind of, there could be degrees of success which make it, you know, akin to maybe like, oh, you've lost, you've gained wounds or HP loss or spent spell slots, right? There is, it's not just a pass fail state there's degrees of success mm. which kind of spices it up but really approach it like how can i get them to this part where there's where there is real stakes based on this and there's maybe a crowd there's a opposing council. so it really w- will give that feeling of like tenseness when there is no you know, guns. No, there's yeah. no swords. You really want to have them feel that conflict without there being physical harm. And that will really, it really, really fleshes out games and kind of just, and it will make then later on, if that leads to combat or you know, then you're fighting for something because of that, it'll kind of even give that more weight to it, right? So it kind of, everything feeds itself. So I think my, my, it's my, just a really good thing to spice up a game. My, yeah. my,
0: favorite, my favorite game uh, that I ran, we had a social conflict. It was Savage Worlds where they were testifying to congress talk about the stakes there they had <laughs> 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 but
2: it's important too when you're doing these big these big stakes encounters these big stakes social encounters it's important to not to have it hinge on a singular dice roll as well right? oh yeah no, no, no. um uh, you know these have to be drawn out multifaceted, multi-phased processes otherwise you know, having it, having it on a success or fail of the faces, one dice roll can be very problematic. Um, and, and, and ironically, i I mean, we've run games in the last year where the very strong social encounters failed multiple times in terms of, in <laughs> terms of dropping the ball. Epically. epically.
1: That was, um, and that and was almost just, it was just as fun as if it went the other way. I mean, it totally changed that the game right there. So, yeah.
2: And so let, let, have it so that there is multiple chances of failure, there's multiple chances of success, and so that you can also play with some of that nuance then where a a failure will, will put it at a disadvantage for the next stage of negotiation. A success will put you at an advantage to the next stage of negotiation to get what you actually are looking at, at, at coming from. Um, and, and it's important too when you're when you're playing in these if, and, and moving away from the, the storytellers part of things, if you're a player one thing, piece of advice I'd, I'd give people in social encounters is have a level, a, a, a kind of a, a gradient of what you will accept as success so that you're not entirely hinged on a singular outcome. Because if you're walking through and saying, I must get this out of this, and then you'll find it a very frustrating process. But if you can have, here's a small win, here's a medium win, here's a big win in your mind, then I think you'll find it more fun when you're negotiating with these uh with these nasty npcs um you know and and it stops you from having the uh, all you know uh, what do you call it um or, you know um all or nothing yeah, kind all of thing no yeah all or nothing
0: yep. yeah yeah all right so uh, eric you got any other thoughts there well i think
1: you, you what, what i cut you off before you were talking about player hints or what, what what did you want to bring up then
0: uh tips for players role-playing oh well I, yeah i think james kind of uh started rocking into the players Got so that's what i was curious if you had any if You had any thoughts on it um for me it's just as a player just do your best right gaming is fun it's supposed yeah. to be a safe environment like i said if you if you can't do it drop out a character and say here's what i'm gonna here's what i'm saying and um you know then you can take advantage of those dice rolls it's it's good and and you know, and remember, your character's got limitations. So, even if you are a face character and you're like super persuasive, sometimes you're going to fail. So, and that goes that gradient part of success. But uh, Eric, what's your you you are the you know you are the uh, do such a great the job player's player. You're the player's player. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good way of <laughs> yeah, saying it. So, right, what are your thoughts side. on players or what I, they should I do? Mean, I mean,
1: it's a wide range, especially when it comes to social. And as we said, because it's such a um, almost a merging uh you know larger mechanic in these games i think starting with if you're a face character i, I mean you know as as we kind of said before either you're naturally as a player uh persuasive or may, if you're not then i think it's important then to like i said kind of be more methodical about it you know if you're this persuasive person while well, you don't have to be have the the sharpest tongue when you're doing improv when you're doing role playing um, you can still take advantage of you know finding pieces of information out or like maybe asking a GM like is there anything I notice about them and then using that in your persuasion right so kind of using multiple skills there to kind of see if there's things that you can use to your advantage um and then doing that maybe out of character you know because your character's good at it um but also a thing with the face character is don't hog the spotlight always let oh good one let some of the other characters because you know it isn't just like we said before in combat you know everybody's doing combat while the fighter is better at it other people have their turns too so so don't And I know it's hard because you're like, oh, I'm the face character. This is what I'm good at. Like, you know, let the other players... Have their moments to it, like bring stuff in, either for good or ill. Uh, and maybe even like go to them, be like, hey, you know about this, you're from this town, what, like, you know, and then ask them for information. Maybe they have insights that then you can use as a face character. So you're bringing other players in and you're making your character better because you're kind of gaining some insight in some way because the other characters have more diverse backgrounds that might touch on what you're kind of dealing with. Um, for characters that are not face characters, again, I encourage you to, you know, speak up. You're characters just because your characters are not the most extroverted you know charismatic people doesn't mean they don't speak they talk all the time all these people are always discussing i mean you go to anywhere you know it's not always the person who's the party person they're not just talking all the time so every character no matter what their type of character they are has uh, a benefit and like a, a reason they would t- to speak up in social interactions but on the other coin it's you know uh, let the face character when they really need to at times you know let them handle those you don't want to hog that either if you're the fighter that's good at fighting you know you don't want to just take it away from the face character all the time because they made those sacrifices to be good at social skills but like i said my my weird cobalt character who is horrible at social skills in james's game you know I, I will then allow him I, – I will still speak up even sometimes when I know he might mess up. Like when I was learning Sylvan, I thought to myself, well, I was learning from this one character who would probably only teach me swear words. And so I <laughs> came out and was like, I say like, you know, your mother was this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I – go up to this person and I say, because this is what my character would know. And he's so daft when it comes to social interaction that he didn't realize that would be a faux pas. And so it was a kind of a fun, I thought, like I didn't want to mess it up too much, but I still thought it was a fun storytelling moment that kind of, you know, I did mess things up, but it did take us in a fun direction. So that was kind of a natural thing, but don't overdo it, right? Still let your, uh, in our case, Esmeralda, take the spotlight when it really needs to. But you can always, no matter what you are, you can always bring stuff to the table and you can help out the face character. Um, and, and that's yeah.
2: that's an important thing. This is still a troop game, and, and what, you, what you don't want is a two-hour session of role-playing where only one person is speaking. Yeah. There are other roles you can take in a social encounter if you're not the face character. You can be the... You can rev, you can try and roll up the crowd. And go, hey, he's making a monkey out of us, kind of stuff. You can be that insightful character that tries to get a a, a bit of a, a hint on motivations. You can be distracting. You can use the social encounter to try and pick someone's pocket, do something else within the space, yeah, so that right, right. so that you can involve yourself. So you know, um, and it's important when you're running these encounters as a as a dungeon master. To keep an eye on what the other rest of the group's doing, and try and encourage those kinds of things. Try and encourage having other things going on that isn't just the the monologuing between two of the stronger role players. So I think that's the other point. Have things going on in the background. Have things that others could be noticing. Having a po- oppositional stuff that's starting to rise, and and the other players can be aware of that stuff. So that so that the scene doesn't become a little bit too you know too too monochrome. If
1: that yeah. Makes sense. Because there's really no, I can't think of any type of character that wouldn't be able to contribute in some way, uh, either on their own or to, like, uh, you know help out the face character. I mean, even from, like you said, like an intelligence person could be, uh, or, you know, researching books, and, oh, here's a historical context for this, or the barbarian could be, you know, uh, just looking intimidating or, or pushing people out of the way, like you said, like causing a ruckus in the crowd. Or, I mean, pretty much every character can contribute in some way. So either as the player or as the GM, you should be encouraging that from either side.
0: Um, yeah. Very, very cool. So I think we uh, nailed that one. And so I'll go on and say, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in, and hopefully you got something good out of it. Remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to learn about our projects, uh, our uh, support us, contact all that good stuff. And if you've got a question or a comment or you want something adjudicated, um, go ahead, send us an email at gamemaster@masteringtherpg.com at masteringtherpg.com, or you can find us on Twitter. At Mastering the RPG, and so you can uh, just drop us a note there. We had some folks uh, send some Twitter messages over, and we answered some questions on that too. Um, so, if you like the show, now that we've had a few episodes, we'd love a positive review. Um, subscribe so I can go to the 12 different places and count um, because there's no way to find it all out in one way. But hey, what, do you, what am I saying here? Um, but once again, I'm Carl with Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> I was I was trying to do the Dark Overlord, but you no, know, that was more of a <laughs> count or something. You do not have good social. Goblin.
0: Your social your social role died <laughs> <guy. laughs> this time. My minions, I
1: will let you leave here with your lives. <laughs> oh, that was embarrassing. inside but, check. Insight
0: check. <laughs> All right. Damn it. I rolled well, a two. We're out. <laughs>